Amen. How you guys doing today? You doing good? I stepped outside today and I was like, I was a little worried. I thought I was going to be freezing. And then I walked out and it was like the sun was shining. It was warmer. It's like the seasons have changed. Hallelujah. <laughs> and real quick, I, I just want everyone to just turn to your neighbor and just say hello and say, you know, it's blessed to be beside you today. Go ahead. Just bless your neighbor. blessed to be in front of you, blessed to be behind you. (laughs) It's good to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. Today. (laughs) Oh, snap. Somebody said, blessed be his name. I I didn't, I didn't know that you say all that. Um, I didn't, I didn't grow up in the church, so I don't, I don't really have a good grid for all the different sayings. You know, when I say God is good and I'm, yeah, see, uh-huh. <laughs> I wasn't even expecting that right there. You know, I, I grew up, I grew up uh, going to church only on Christmas and Easter. And so when people would say things on those days, I was really weirded out. I was like, how does everyone know exactly what to say on cue? Like, did they plan this out? It's not even in the bulletin, you know, <laughs> but it's like when I say God is good. Wait, stop. Please stop. Please stop. <laughs> Let me finish my sentence. That was a God is good comma. When I say God is good, the the witness you should have is that God is good to me. God is good to me. You know, so many times we can be like, oh, is God is good all the time. And all the time, God is good. But we say it just like, like, you know, like a broken table. God is good. God is good. All the time. All the time. When God is good, all the time he is good. Every moment of every day. And we need to have a revelation of that in everything we do. I was talking about the sun shining and walking outside today. And as I was coming here, all I felt was a revelation that God is good. God is so good. To you. I want everyone to turn in your Bible to Psalm chapter 27. We're going to take a break today from our, our series in 1 Corinthians because uh, the Lord really spoke to me uh, earlier this week. And he just put this verse on my heart and I've just been meditating on it all week. And I felt that the Lord really wanted to speak it to us today. And it's one verse. I actually spoke it out earlier during uh, uh, corporate intercession. It's Psalm 27, chapter four, uh, verse four, Psalm 27, verse four, one verse. Let's read it all together, shall we? In the ESV, Psalm 27, chapter, uh, Psalm 27, verse four. Why do I keep saying chapter? Um, let's say it all together. One, two, three. One thing I have asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life 
to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Amen. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you that, that God, that you are here. We thank you that your presence is here with us. You are Emmanuel, God with us. We thank you, Lord, that even as David said, where can I go? Where can I flee from your presence? That if I go to the highest of highs, you are there. If I go to the deepest of depths, you are there. God, you are with us. You never leave us nor forsake us. And so we thank you for your presence today. God, we pray that as the word goes out, Lord, our hearts would open to it. God, that we wouldn't have, remove every attitude, God, that we may have that says, oh, I know this verse, or I know this word, or I'm, I already got this down pat, God, and would you show us that you, you make things new every morning. And so, God, renew our minds. God, we come against the devil. We come against his schemes. We come against his works, and we break them off. We command they will not be fruitful in this place. And so we just thank you for your goodness once again. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Today, I want to talk to you about the power of a focused life. You're taking notes. That's the title. The power of a focused life. David said in Psalm 27, verse 4, he said, One thing I desire of the Lord, one thing I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of my God all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him, inquire of him in his temple. David had narrowed down his life to one thing. Now, David had a lot going on. If there was anyone that could multitask, it was David. You know, Pastor Christian, he, sp- he spoke a powerful message last Sunday. And if you haven't heard it, you should check it out on the podcast. It's the discipline of being fully present. And he talked about how our, our generation is an ADHD kind of generation. We all have like a subtle form or most some of us in overt form, a huge form of ADD. You know, where we've all been diagnosed with this aspect where we cannot concentrate. We cannot focus on one particular thing. Some of you are checking Facebook right now. You know. It's like and then the the cell phone goes down. Where he can't see it and I can still scroll. And as I listened to that message and as I was meditating on this concept of being fully present. God began to speak to me, not just about being fully present, but about being focused. Because God desires for each one of us to live a focused life. He wants us to live a life that has intention, purpose, passion. You know, many of us, though, we confuse focus or living a focused life something that is intentional and and for a single purpose, we confuse it with living a simple life. So, so many of us, you know, when stuff happens, we just say, I just want things to be simple. Can I just live a simple life? God, I want to have a simple life. I want things to be simple, but a focused life is not a simple life. So before we go anywhere in this, I want you to know that a focused life is not a simple life. Actually, the Bible, it speaks against living a simple life. Did you know that the Bible actually it, it says that people who live a simple life, it calls them fools. Oh, snap. 
Here, I'll read some verses out for you. Proverbs 1.22, it's wisdom crying out. He says, how long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will you scoffers delight in the scoffing and fools hate knowledge? Actually, our generation is a, a generation that multitasks, right? But it's also all the studies are coming out and saying that our generation, in terms of our, our cognitive function and capability, our ability to really, you know, we, our marks in, in key areas are going lower and lower and lower and lower. In America, they say that America ranks towards the bottom in every area except for confidence. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, we are confident in the fact that we don't know nothing. <laughs> you know? I was looking at this study from, from um, MIT about multitasking, and they picked off some people from the street. And they gave them one particular task. They gave them one particular task, and then they gave them, uh, and, then they, and then in the other study, they had them multitask. And uh, as they studied them throughout, everyone that did the multitasking, their marks just went down dramatically. Like, it was like, like and But the people who were, like, it was a drastic difference from when they did one function as opposed to two or three. Their, their ability to retain all that information decreased dramatically. And then after they finished with the people off the street, they went to MIT and they went to the students at MIT because, you know, you're confident. You go to the Massachusetts Institute of Technology. It's like one of the top universities in the world. And so, you know, you've got these guys and like, I'm really smart. You know, I don't care. You know, I scored a 1600 first try, you know, or whatever it is nowadays. 2400. Wow. 2400. I wonder what my grades would look like now if it's 2,400. <laughs> you know, but they, like these, these really brilliant, quote-unquote, guys. And then so they test them, and they give them this one function. And then as they give them more functions, they said, they said that the, the drop-off was just the same as the people on the street. And they were like, you're not as smart as you think you are, Mr. MIT. And actually what happens is because when you... When you multitask, when you do that, you're using the strong areas in your brain. You're using the areas in your brain that are already strong. But when you focus on one particular area, it works on the, the areas in your brain that aren't as strong. Which means that your brain gets stronger. Because anything that's weak, if you work on it and it gets stronger, that naturally means that you get smarter. Your brain is a muscle, right? Oh, Okay, all right, maybe next week I'm going to speak of the power of reading a book or something. <laughs> Everyone's like looking at me. My brain's a muscle. I need to use that thing more. You know, I, I talk to so many people and they say, I want, man, things are in my life are just happening way too much right now. I've got too much going on. I've got too many things on my plate. I just need to remove some of these things. And if I can remove them, then I can live a simple life. It's funny when we get so many things going on in our lives, the first thing we want to remove is being in the house of God. The first thing we want to remove is being in the word and being in prayer. But we say, oh, I got so many things going on in my life. I got, I'm so busy. You know why I'm saying this right now? Because that was me earlier this week. Like we, we had to move. I found out that I needed to move on Thursday 
from my apartment. Like my realtor called and he said, what time are you guys moving out tomorrow? And I was like, what? What? Like, what do you mean? He's like, yeah, you guys need, I've already signed your place over. You need to move by, by Tuesday night. And so we looked, we searched for a place. We didn't have another place to live. We searched for a place. We find a place, but then we had to go through all the business of moving. So it was really stressful, really hectic. But along with that, I still had a ton of work that I needed to do um, to prepare for the, for the church and all these different things that I oversee. And in the middle of it, I was like, God, it's too much. God is too much. And, and I was even like, God, you know what? Joint prayer meetings is Saturday, God, but I'm going to go home. God, I got too much to do. I got too much going on in my life, God. I, I, you know what, God? I wish you would just take away some of this stuff, you know? Just take away half of these things that you've given to me because it's just way too much for me. I've got too much going on. And God said, you need to stop desiring a simple life and you need to start living a focused one. See, many of us, we think that we need to live a simple life, but God's saying different. I already read Proverbs 122. I'm going to read some more. Proverbs 132 says, for the simple are killed by their turning away and the complacency of fools destroys them. Proverbs 7, 7 says, I have seen among the simple, I have perceived among the youths, a young man lacking sense. Uh, that was Solomon. He was looking outside his window and he's seeing these young men on the street and he calls them simple. In the Bible, when you see the word simple, especially in Proverbs, it was them talking about fools or people who did not know God. Proverbs 9, 6. I love this one. It says, leave your simple ways and live. Leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of insight. Another translation says, forsake foolishness and live and walk in the way of understanding. When the Bible, when God looks at people that want to live a simple life, he says that's foolishness. Proverbs 14, 15 says, the simple believes everything. Mm. That means they're gullible. They're foolish. You tell them a joke and they always get deceived. Like, what's going on? The simple believes everything, but the prudent gives thought to his steps. Verse 18 says, the simple inherit folly, but the prudent are crowned with knowledge. The word prudence, actually, it means a calculated care or caution towards the management of life. It means actually that you're living a life that's focused. That's what prudence, a person who's prudent, they're living a focused life. They've narrowed down things, but they've done it in a way in which they're focused. Why am I talking about living a focused life? Why am I talking about the power of a focused life? It's because in this season for you to do what God is calling you to do, you've got to learn how to live a focused life, not a simple one. You've got to learn how to narrow down things in your life, but you've got to learn how to see it in a focused way, not in a simple way. You know, I'm from the South, right? I'm from North Carolina, the Southeastern United States. And so the South, people from the South, they have this like reputation or this stereotype of being really simple. So whenever I meet someone from New York, it's like, it's always this conversation that takes place as if like, you know, they're like, Oh, you know, oh, you're in soul now. Yeah, soul, yeah. How is that for you? Oh, it must be overwhelming, right? Like, you know, running water. 
like toilets in your house, right? That must be crazy. Like they don't say that, but they always give me that look like as if like, you know, because I'm from the South, I don't know how to think. But, <laughs> but you know, the Bible actually, it, it comes against this aspect of living a simple life. And it says that people who live a simple life, they're fools. And actually, in this world, there's actually only two type of, types of people. The Bible makes it very clear that there's only two types of people in this world. There's those that live a simple life and those that live a focused life. Even the people like, you know, when, like I said, I talk to people from New York and or from like a metropolitan area and they talk to me like, you know, you know, how is it living in this big area like Seoul, you know, because apparently all we have is one stoplight in North Carolina. Actually, the city I grew up in did have one stoplight. <laughs> but we moved to a bigger city and it had five. Praise the Lord for stoplights. But there's two types of people. There's ones that live a, a simple life and there's one that live a focused life. And it's determined largely by depth. A simple life is a singularity that's without depth. When, I'm, when you meet someone on the street and they're going, you know, a lot of us like to think that we live a complex life. But I want to tell you, no one in this room lives a complex life. None of you live a complex life. You may think your life is very complex, but when you get to the root of it, there's one thing that drives you. There's one thing that motivates you. There's one thing at the root of it all that you are either that you're focused on. Maybe it's money. You know, maybe it's money. When you lose your job, do you freak out entirely? You have like a nervous breakdown because you lost your job. Maybe it's sex. Maybe it's your pleasures of the flesh. Maybe it's power. Or maybe it's God. See, in Psalm 27, chapter uh, verse four, I keep saying chapter, Psalm 27, verse four, David, he says, I've narrowed my life down to one thing. And it's not a simple thing because he decides that I'm not going to have this single focus with no depth. I'm going to focus on God. And how many guys know that God is very deep? There's no end to the depths of God. See, in this year of inspiration, it's very easy for us to get to find ourselves being focused on all different types of things. You know, I want to focus on my career. I want to focus on my, my money. I need to focus on my finances. I want to focus on my marriage. I want to focus on my my future spouse. I want to focus on all these different things. But David, David was king. He had all these different things happening. But instead, he decided. I'm going to narrow it down to one thing. One thing. I desire one thing I seek. I was meditating on this at at K1 earlier this week, and I was and God was just speaking to me about this. And he was saying, Marcus, because I was bringing all these. I was like, God, my life's so complex. God, I have so many things going on. God, I have so much that's on my plate. God, would you take away all these things that are on my plate? And then God said, Marcus, your, your issues that you've. You need to start living a focused life. And I was like, what are you talking about? And he said, Marcus, you've been focusing on things that aren't that deep. And when you focus on things that aren't that deep, your roots don't go very far. 
And so when your roots don't go very far, any storm can come and it can pull you out of your place that I positioned you in. Any storm can come and it'll it'll completely shake you out of the place of faith because really at the root, at your one thing, it's not me. Really, Marcus, at your root, it's the approval of people. That's what he said to me. And so, and then as I was meditating on that, I was realizing that at my root was this approval for people that I wanted people to like me. I wanted people to to approve of me and say, oh, Marcus, you did a good job. I realized that that wasn't that deep. And when when your roots can't go that deep, it's actually really easy for you to get distracted. You know, distraction doesn't come because you have too much going on. Distraction comes because you're not that deep in the things that you're actually doing. You know, if you, I love Pastor Christian, right? Pastor Christian is in the office when he sits down and does work. He's like the most focused man ever. Like I can't I don't even want to talk to him when he's working on something or even like Pastor John Newfeld. This man is he's a focused man of God. He lives a focused life. Like I remember talking to him about getting up in the morning and praying. He was like, you know, Marcus, if. Getting up at 6 a.m. in the morning to pray, that's my time with God. If anyone texts me during that time, I actually get angry. I was like, I get angry because I'm still asleep. (laughs) But he actually, he, he gets up at 6 in the morning and he's praying. And he doesn't get distracted by anything that's going on around him. You know why? Because he's went so deep. He's went so deep with God that nothing can pull him out. See, when your your one thing is when your one thing is 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 power, your one thing is the affirmation of people. Then what happens when that affirmation has gone? What happens when people stop liking you? If your affirmation is in money, what happens when you go broke? What happens when you're when the stock market crashes? If your one thing is is the lust of your flesh, what happens when things stop satisfying you? And you stop getting that thrill. All of a sudden you're pulled to the left and to the right. And you can't figure out why. And it's because at the root. You're living a simple life and not a focused one. One that doesn't go deep. See David says one thing I desire of the Lord. And that one thing I will seek. He says one thing I want. And it's God. One thing I seek after, and it's God. One thing I want above anything else is God. I don't want money. I don't want the acclaim. I don't want power. Really, at the root of my life, the one thing that I want, the one thing I desire, the one thing that I think about, the one thing that I step towards, it is God. It's nothing else. It's not how I look. It's not what people think about me. It's not what I do. At the root of all of it, it's God. It's a focused life. And he says this. He says, one thing I desire of the Lord, that one thing I'll seek after. And then he says that. I want you to look in your Bibles. He says that. That I may. See, David understood that that there was something that comes from living a focused life. That when you focus on that one thing that's God, the deepest of deep, when you focus on God, there's something that comes from it. 
He says, one thing I've asked of God, one thing I seek after, one thing I want, that I may, in order to. And there's three things that David talks about. And I want to talk about the three things that come from living a focused life. And the first is a clear sense of identity and mission. Everyone say identity. Everyone say mission. David says, one thing I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of my God all the days of my life. That word dwell, dwell defines, the, dwell defines your home. Dwell, def- it means to inhabit. It means the, to rest at a place. It means that it's the place where you lay your head at night. And actually, your, your place where you dwell is very important. It's actually really important in the Bible. The dwelling, your dwelling place defines the boundaries of your home. And at your home is the place where you get fed. It's the, at your home is the place where you rest. At your home is the place where you connect with others. And David says, well, the place that I dwell is the house of God. See, when you're living a focused life, all of a sudden you begin to dwell in the house of God. And the place where you dwell defines your identity and it defines your mission. Jesus said it like this, and he said it, it seems really weird. I, I, I never understood this statement. He said, foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. And I would read that in the Bible, and I was like, wait, so Jesus is homeless? Wait, no, Jesus, Jesus stayed at people's houses. Jesus had a home. He was Mary's child. Mary had a house, right? But what Jesus was saying was he wasn't saying that he was homeless. He was saying, one, that my home is not here. When he said the Son of Man has no place to lay his head, he said, my home is not here on earth. Meaning that my identity doesn't come from here. My identity doesn't come from what I see in the natural. My identity doesn't come from what I see around the people around me. My identity comes from heaven. See, when Jesus said that, he said that, My identity is not wrapped up in the things that happen around me. My identity is not wrapped up in my circumstances. You know, when stuff happens to us, it's so easy for us to get shaken. Right. If someone speaks ill against us or we go through a trial, we go through certain tribulation. The first thing that many of us start to think is that God has forgotten about us. The first thing we begin to think is that God has come against us or that we are all alone. But Jesus understood that because his home's not here, his identity is not wrapped up in here. That when he steps up into a place, it doesn't matter what happens because it, does, it can't touch his identity. When you step into a place and someone looks at you the wrong way, do you, does, that, does that affect the way you see yourself? You know, when I first came to Korea... When I first came to Korea and people looked at me funny, it used to it used to kind of get at me a bit. Like because I would be in the subways and the Ajumas would be staring. And like they would stare like up close, like here's my face and they'd be up in here. <laughs> you know, and I'm standing there like. You know, I try 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 to be try to be Christian, you know. But 
I found that it was continually, all of a sudden, I was feeling more and more like my identity. They were touching a part of who I am. You know, for the simple, Satan tries to shift your place of dwelling. He tries to shift your understanding of your place of dwelling away from the house of God and into the world. He begins to cause you to think that your home is Korea and not heaven. He begins to get you to think that your home is America and not heaven. He begins to get you to think that your home is in Bogwangdong or in Hapjong or wherever you live. He begins to get you to think that your home is there because then your identity is wrapped up in things and not wrapped up in heaven. See, Jesus understood that his identity, that his home was not here because if his home is not here, then his identity is not here. But he also understood that if his identity is not here, then also that means that if he's here, he's on a mission. See, because for an orphan, an orphan doesn't have a clear understanding of home, right? An orphan hops from house to house. You know, they go from foster home to foster home or from children's home to children's home. And so they don't have a clear set of boundaries as to where is home for me. And so then their identity is messed up. But not only is their identity messed up, but also their vision is messed up. See, whenever you come and you say, I don't know what God wants for my life. I don't know what God's calling me to. That's probably a sign that your identity has gotten wrapped up in the world. Because being a son of God means that you are here on a mission. See, when David said, one thing I desire of the Lord, he was saying, my focus is of God. And because my focus is of God, my identity is with God. And that means if I'm here on earth, I'm here on a mission. That anytime I leave the house, I'm being I'm leaving because I'm sent by my father. Do you wake up in the morning feeling like you're sent? How many of us wake up and we get up out of bed and go to work and we're like, you know, thank you, Jesus, for sending me to my job. How many of us wake up saying, you know, thank you, God, for sending me to the subway today. To the subway. We don't think God sends us to the subway. Thank you, God, for sending me from from place to place. Thank you, God, for sending me to Starbucks. No, we think we go to Starbucks. We say we send ourselves to Starbucks because if we send ourselves there, then we can be comfortable. If you're not on a mission, you don't have to do anything missional. You don't have to touch anyone. You don't have to talk to anyone. You don't have to pray for anyone. Because this is home. New Philly, we loved, we do mission trips. So we go, we went to Bangladesh. I was on that team where we went to Bangladesh and they sent us out from here. And when we go, to, when we go on mission trips, like, it's like, have you ever seen the TV show, the, the A-Team or the movie? Okay, do you know who Mr. T is? He's this big black dude. He has like a mohawk. He's like, I pity the fool. Okay, he's this huge guy. Like when we go on missions, we go out like the A-Team. Like everyone, like everyone's praying in tongues the entire time. Everyone's like in war mode. Like if anyone looks at them funny, like the stewardess comes up and says, do you want any water? And we're like, yes, can I pray for you? You know, like, like we're just in this kind of mood. Like, and why? It's because we know that we've been sent. It's why? Because we know our home is someplace else. And therefore, if we he- we're here, that means that God has sent us. But how many of us have that mentality in Itaewon? That's a focused life. See, when you live a focused life, you have a clear sense of your identity and mission. 
The second thing I want us to read, we're going to keep reading, that I may gaze, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. Everyone say gaze. You know, the word gaze means to look upon intently. Have, have you ever gazed at anyone? If you're a leader, I hope not without talking to us first. Okay, you guys, you're married. You can gaze at each other all you want. It's the word gaze means to look upon intently. It means to look at something so much so that you begin, your whole entire body begins to lean towards it. To gaze at something means that you're looking upon it in such a deep way that all of a sudden your entire being is wrapped up in looking at that very thing. It's like the the holy version of a double take. You know, when you're like walking down the street and someone, you know, someone looks at you and then they do that little. (laughs) You know, because they or they or they do or they do the full 180, you know. If that happens to you on the street, ladies, run. <laughs> Just kidding. He says the gaze to be you looking at something so hard that your entire body is leaning in, leaning forward to see deeper. See, when you live a focused life, what begins to happen is that your sight goes to a deeper level. That gazing at something is deeper than just looking. And David says, I gaze upon the beauty of the Lord, meaning true beauty. That David, his his focus on God was so strong that when that all he could look at, all he could focus his mind on, everything that his entire being was being was leaning forward into was God. That's all he thought about. He was giving double takes towards Jesus. I mean, do you you give God a gaze on Sunday, but do you give him a double take during the week? Do you you go home and look at him again? Do you look upon him intently? See, a focused life is, is very different. It's about looking in deeply to look at true beauty. I talked about living life. This is a simple life, right? In Proverbs, it talks about wisdom. And in wisdom in Proverbs is seen as being a woman. It's a she. But also there's another woman in Proverbs and it's the adulterous woman. And the adulterous woman, they both cry out from the streets. The adulterous woman cries out from the streets and the the woman of wisdom, she cries out from the streets. And Pastor Christian talks about it. He says wisdom and adultery are crying out. And the question is, which lady are you going to look at? And it says that the simple actually follow the adulterous woman. The simple actually go after the woman, the the lustful woman that's crying out to them from the streets. But the one who's living a focused life, they, they incline their ear, they listen and they look at a deeper level to wisdom. Pastor Benjamin, he talks, I want to talk about lust for a moment. Pastor Benjamin talks about lust, and he says that prophetic people in particular struggle with lust at a great level. That people who have been given a prophetic gift from God, those are the people who struggle with lust the most. And the reason they struggle with lust so much is because at the deepest place in their heart, they desire revelation. 
But what you get whenever you live a focused life is you get a deeper revelation and wisdom than just what you get from foolishness. Ephesians 1.17 says the spirit of, that God pours out the spirit of wisdom and revelation that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened. How many of you guys want to see deeper? How many of you guys want to have deeper revelation before God? It happens as you begin to live focused lives. Like I said, the reason you're getting distracted is because you haven't been looking deep enough. You know, you ever been in those seasons where it feels like that Jesus isn't as enticing as he used to be? That coming out to pray isn't as fiery as it used to be? Or that coming to the house of God isn't, it doesn't really excite you as much as it used to? The reason is probably because what happens is we start looking at the surface level. We start, we don't gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. We don't look in deep. We just skim over. We skim over our Bible. We skim over prayer. We skim over worship. We look, but we don't gaze. But when you start to look in, you start to press in deeper, and you start to look with an even deeper fashion, what begins to happen is that your heart begins to open up. And all of a sudden, you begin to get deeper revelation deeper wisdom from God. It's funny that when I first, at my deepest moments with God, what I find is when I'm living that focused life, God will speak to me in an instant things that would take time and time and hours to get in the place of prayer. God will reveal to me deeper things when I'm living a focused life in the place of prayer and focused life in the place of intimacy with him. When I'm learning to be fully present before him, God is all he just shows me things in an instant. It's really funny. Like sometimes when I I meet with some of our leaders. And hopefully, you know, leaders still meet with me, but uh, I'll meet with some of our leaders and they're like, Pastor Marcus, I need to talk to you. And I'm like, "Okay, yeah, let's let's talk. And we'll sit down and they'll say one word. And as soon as they say that word, all of a sudden God's spoken to me everything that they're about to say. And I and so and then I want to say it, but God's like, no, just listen. Okay. All right. All right. Okay. All right. And I I want to be like, you know, God already revealed that to me. Because what happens is when you start to go deeper with God, God begins to reveal things to you that would take long time. You'd have to go before him night and day, night and day. But then because you're intimate with him, he reveals more. But the question is, are you willing to gaze in? Are you willing to go deeper with him? See, God's calling us in this hour to go deeper. Not to stay shallow level anymore, but to gaze upon him intently. So that's the second thing. The second thing is deeper revelation and wisdom. And the third is greater power and authority. Everyone say power. Power. That wasn't everyone. Everyone say power. Power. Authority. Authority. David, last thing he said after gazing upon the beauty of the Lord was to inquire in his temple. The word inquire means to meditate, to ask, to petition, to seek. And he says it in his temple. And the temple during that time was understood as being the center of society, the center of their lives. 
You know, when the priest went inside the temple, when they went to the, the Holy of Holies, when they went to the top place in the temple, the highest point in the temple, what they spoke to God and what they heard from God determined the entire course of the nation. The kind of prayers that they prayed when they inquired of God in their temple, when the temple was very different than what the person on the outer court would pray. It was very different than what the Gentile or what the, the simple person would pray on the outer court, you know. When they came to the outer court, they were praying for their dog. You know, they're praying for their donkey. They were like, God, can you help out my donkey right now? My donkey's sick. God, can you help out my family right now? But when you go to the deeper place, what begins to happen is that your prayers don't just affect your family. They affect an entire nation. They affect your entire workplace. They affect an entire school system. They affect an entire entertainment mountain. See, when you start living a focused life, you begin to inquire of God in his temple. See, God wants to take you to a higher place. He wants to take you to the inner courts where your prayers begin to move heaven and earth. When you pray, you want your prayers to actually affect something, right? You want your prayers to actually move something. What's the point of praying if the prayers don't work? What's the point of praying if those prayers, when you pray, you feel like there's no power behind it? But the way that you start to have greater power and authority in your prayers is when you start to lean in and begin to focus and go deeper with God. You can't stay on the outer courts the whole time. You can't stay in the shallow water. You've got to decide, I'm going to go deeper. I'm going to focus I'm going to make God the focus of my life. I'm going to, at the root of it all, I'm going to put God at the center. I know there's many people in this room that have been going through, Pastor John Michael talked about it last night, a season of, of sifting where been, there's been things in your life that have been taken out and where you've been experiencing God coming in or even the enemy coming in and he's been shaking things up a bit. And in the middle of all of that, in the middle of those times where we feel like we're being shaken or we feel like everything is out of order. Those are the moments where we cry out for a simple life. Those are the moments where we say, God, I just want to leave. God, I just want to back out of this. God, I want to stop doing this. God, I don't want to make any commitments. And in those moments, those are the moments where God isn't saying it's time to simplify. He's saying it's time to focus. He's saying it's not time for you to pull back. It's time for you to press in. When you're feeling like, I don't know really who I am in God. I don't know what God's calling me to. Usually in those moments, what most believers in the Western church do is they pull out. And we say, well, I don't really know this really well. I don't feel that comfortable right now. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to stay on the outside. I'm going to stay on the outside till I feel comfortable. And then I'll do something. Pastor, give me more time. Give me more time. Give me more time. Okay, I'll give you some time. And then after the time's up, give me some more time. And then we stay on the outer courts and then we never end up knowing what God is really calling us to. We never end up stepping into our identity as mighty warriors. We never end up stepping into our purpose and mission, which is to go out and set other people free. 
See, each and every one of you, God wants to use you not just to be set free, but to set other people free. God wants to take you to places where you walk in such wisdom and revelation where you don't have to come to me for advice. God speaks it to you and I confirm it. That's the most awesome feeling. You know, the most awesome feeling is not when you come up to your pastor and say, Pastor, I'm not sure what I should do or should I do this or should I do that? And then I'm like, do this. And then you walk away feeling like, man, I guess I should just obey. Or you don't you don't speak to your spiritual authority at all because you're afraid of what they'll say. See, that's an outer court mentality. That's a mentality that hasn't pressed in. That's a simple Christianity. But God doesn't want you to have a simple Christianity anymore. He wants you to have a focused Christianity. He wants you to have a Christianity where when you gaze upon his beauty and you spend time with him and you press in to him, he pours out his spirit upon you and the eyes of your heart begin to get enlightened. And instead of you continuing to walk in the same things that have always held you down, you begin to walk in a greater thing. You know, the way to get over lust is not accountability. The way to get over addiction is not 10 steps to better, you know, a better life. It's not Alcoholics Anonymous. The better way to get over addiction, the better way to get over those chains, the better way to get out of those things is not having 10 steps. It's getting a greater revelation of who God is. C.S. Lewis said it like this. He said, many of us are waiting in a pool of mud. Thinking that we're at the ocean. Just in the mud, just having fun. Like, oh, it's, yes, this mud is so great. When God has an ocean, he wants to take you to. And the, and the way you get set free from the mud is not getting 10 steps to how you can get out of the mud and get into dry land. It's just getting put in the ocean. It's saying, God, I want a deeper revelation. The way you get over that anxiety and fear that's been holding you down is not having 10 steps and someone continually giving you accountability to help you get over your fear. It's getting a greater revelation of God. The way you get over your fear of commitment is by making a commitment. Ten more minutes. David said, one thing I desire. One thing I desire of the Lord and that one thing I will seek. That I would dwell, meaning the boundaries of the house of God will be my home. Meaning that when I come into the house of God, that's where I get fed. When I come into the house of God, that's where I get nourished. When I come into the house of God, that's my identity. That's where my father lives. And that's where I'm a son. And when I leave the house of God and when I go to work or when I go anywhere else, whenever I step out, I'm not shaken by what happens against me because I know that my identity is in the house of God. And when I step, wherever I step, whenever I take one step out, I'm not shaken by my circumstances because I know I have a home. You know, when I'm on the missions field and, you know, when we're out there and people lose their cell phone, they don't like freak out, you know, like, oh, my gosh, I lost my cell phone. They say, no, when I get home, I'll get another one. Whenever you're out side of the house of God and Satan attacks you or he takes things away from you, the first thing we start thinking is that 
we're orphans. We start thinking that God isn't with us when the truth is you just need to go home and get you another one. You just need to go right back before God and that 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 peace that was taken away from you. You just need to go home and get it again. When Satan's attacked you with fear and he's attacked you with and, oh, and he's attacked you with lust and he's taken away your purity, you need to go right back home and get it again. When you feel like you don't know what to do and you feel like your life is aimless and I have no vision and I have no purpose and I, everything before me looks foggy. You need to just look to God, you need to recognize that he is the source of wisdom and revelation Stop looking to the world. It's a shallow pool. It's not the source of true beauty. He is. And when he reveals himself, he shows you everything you need. And when he leads you through those things, what he then takes you to is the highest place where your prayers are not just about you anymore. Your life isn't just about you anymore. Like we were singing, I give myself away. Then all of a sudden your life becomes about other people. Your life begins to be about other people being set free, other people coming into the knowledge of God. Your prayers begin to set nations free. Every great man and woman you read in the Bible and every great Christian man and woman you read in history. When God used them. They knew where their home was. They knew the source of wisdom and revelation, and they knew that God was taking them to a place of greater authority, so they didn't try to simplify anything anymore they decided to get focused they decided to press in god wants us to live a focused life let's pray